Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. It'll be in verses 1 through 12. I have an ESV version. Um, I, I believe Pastor Josh told me that that's typically what you guys use here. So um, follow along. If it's not, it's okay. Um, it's the Bible, the Word of God. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Um, I, I titled this message, Leave the Tree Up which really is kind of strange. I don't know how much it's going to fit in here, but uh, bear, bear with me, we'll get through it. But the reason is, yesterday, uh, the day after Christmas, I was sitting at my dinner table, and I was talking to my daughter. She was sitting on the couch, and um, it, was, it was in the morning early, and so I don't know about your house. We have three young children. I don't know if you got a chance to meet them, Gianna, Mike, and Isabella. So they are seven, five, and one and a half. And um, we have a lot of family in Orlando. Uh, most of our family is here, and so Christmas is pretty chaotic for us. Um, I, I really just am very jealous of people that are able to stay isolated in their homes and kind of enjoy. Um, it is a blessing to us, but it's also the curse, because we have three different Christmases on Christmas Day. We wake up, and we have Christmas at our house, and then we drive to my wife's grandparents' house, and there's a big Christmas you know, feast and all kinds of presents there. And then we drive to my brother's house, my, you know, my side of the family. It's all in Orlando. And then we come back home like 11 o'clock at night, and we're, our car is just completely packed with toys for the kids. Um, so I wake up on, on December 26th, and I'm looking in my living room at just the chaotic mess that's there all over the place. And my daughter comes upstairs. I'm sitting at the table. And I just decided, you know, in Christmas mood still, so I put on some Christmas music. And she says this, Daddy, why are you putting on Christmas music? And this is, I'm literally quoting her words, so far after Christmas. And, and I, I gave her this quizzical look, like, first of all, you're seven years old. Why are you even thinking like that? Um, but also, it, I, I, I brought up this rhetoric to her that how is it fair that the day after Thanksgiving, um, Z88.3 and 107.7, they start playing this Christmas music. And so we have a whole you know month and a half or so of, of Christmas music. But then the day after Christmas, all of a sudden, let's pack all the decorations and put them away and stop playing the music. That doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, I, I realized something that... Um, um, it, that wasn't a part of my childhood. I, I was talking with Dave earlier about um, me. I'm, I'm adopted, so I was born here in Orlando, and, um, but I was raised by a Cuban family. And so in Hispanic culture, um, Christmas doesn't end at you know, Chris, Christmas Day. That's it. The, there's something else that goes forward. Um, and, and I don't think it's... Uh, we're a Southern Baptist church at Hospitality Church. I believe this church is as well. Um, and so it's not too much a part of Southern Baptist tradition, the liturgical seasons of the church. That's more of a, of a high church thing. But I wanted, I wanted to just speak this word quickly. Um, we may be Baptists, and I stand here with you, and I'm very proud of that. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But there's still some merit to the liturgical seasons that have come from history in the early church. And it's something that, especially going through seminary now, I've had the privilege and honor to be able to learn about and to celebrate. Some of you may do this or not. I mean, we... For years, my wife has been putting an Advent calendar in our home, um, and I never re- really even thought of the name, the Advent season, uh, but you can buy it for like $1.95 at Publix, and the kids love it because there's little chocolates in the boxes and things like that. Um, but it, I, I realize it's a good way of, of um, looking forward to the first coming of Advent, of Christmas. Um, so like I said, we may be Baptist. But there's merit to the liturgical seasons of the high church. So Advent season is something that uh, in the 3rd century A.D. Uh, was started by the early church. And this is pre-Roman Catholic. Um, that uh, The Advent season. So Advent 
is the starts the fourth Sunday before Christmas and leads all the way up to Christmas Day. And so I was trying to explain this, have this theological conversation with my daughter. She wanted none of it. Um, but I forced the opinion on her anyways that Christmas season started on the 25th. Uh, Christmas isn't the season of Christmas isn't until that time. It's the Advent season. And that's where we're preparing for that coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first coming. So Christmas season or Christmas tide, as the uh, old theologians called it, starts Christmas Day and it an- ends January 5th before the day of Epiphany or Three Kings Day. And that's what I was alluding to earlier. So depending on where you are, Epiphany can take on different forms. But in the Western Hemisphere where we are, for the most part, Epiphany and its feasts is centered around the visit of the Magi um, to Jesus found in the narrative of Matthew 2, 1 through 12. So that's what I want to read with you this morning. And we will, uh, I'll discuss a little bit of, of what's going on in the situation, and then we'll pull out some truths from there, okay? Matthew 2, chapter 12. Here we go. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Hmm. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. So we've all heard this story. Um, I'm, I'm assuming most of you in, in your house or somewhere, I think it, actually when I was coming into the building on the left side, um, there is a manger scene. And normally accompanying one of these manger scenes, no matter whether it's one of those nice ones from Lifeway, those wood carving things, I'm not remembering the name right now, um, or like in our house we have the Fisher-Price plastic version because my young kids immediately like to go to those and play with them. There's always three weird-dressed dudes sitting, standing there offering weird presents, Right? And these are the three kings. So we're all kind of familiar, with, uh, the, the, three, um, the three wise men, the three kings. We're all familiar with the story. Now, if you did not grow up in a Hispanic household, okay, you may, you may have done this or not, but it's kind of weird for me because um, I am te- technically I'm not Hispanic at all. I was born here. Um, I'm, um, my mom is half black and then my dad is white, so whatever that means, I don't know. But I was adopted and raised in a Cuban family, which makes me... A Cuban culture. So thank you, Dave, for trying so hard to spell out that last name. I know it's a mouthful. Santi Step. That's the the one that I that confuses me is is the San Sebastian. I just I, I don't know see where the T I N is at the end of that. But um, thank you very much. So yeah, that comes from my Cuban culture. And I grew up. Um, I'm assuming most of you probably didn't. 
um, celebrating Three Kings Day. So Christmas doesn't end on December 25th. It's actually on January 6th. And what would happen is my brother and I, late at night, we would put out a bowl of grass and water outside of our home. Depending on which culture you have, you may, it may be by your bedside under shoes or something like that. But for us as Cubans, we put it outside, um, grass for the camels and water for the camels to come. And then the three kings would come in, in the night, kind of like a Santa Claus thing, and, and they would leave a, a gift for us. Um, and so that's how, that's how we celebrated it. Um, now, until recent history, some places around the world, it's not just, I mean, it's Latin America and Spain and whatnot, but until recent history, for some cultures, that's actually when the presents were opened and delivered. So it wasn't on December 25th, it was on January 6th, and they celebrated this liturgical calendar. Now, luckily for us, we get both. So, I don't know about y'all, but um, the only issue with that now is that because I'm trying to instill the culture that my parents have raised me and my children, now it's kind of become an expectation. That same conversation I had with my daughter yesterday, you know, it kind of clicked in her when I was telling her about this. She's like, oh yeah, Three Kings Day. That means more presents. So, now I have to live up to that hype. But at least for me growing up, we, we, had, we had those two days to look forward to. Now... The primary reason of the Epiphany, Three Kings Day, in Spanish, El Día de los Tres Reyes Magos, the reason that this is celebrated. So why, why pick this passage in Scripture, you know, thousands of years ago by the early church to celebrate and commemorate this day with a feast? The reason is because the visit, the visit of the Magi signified the light of revelation to the Gentiles, which is, this is a quote exactly from Simeon. Um, in Luke 2.32. So if you recall, his parents, t- Jesus' parents take him to the temple, and there's Simeon who had been told that he would not see death until he saw the new Savior. And so he holds Jesus and he proclaims this truth, and he says this words, that the light of the revelation of the Gentiles has come. And so that's what this celebration, Three Kings Day, Dia de los Tres Reyes Magos, is all about, January 6th. So in other words, God's plan... To redeem the nations to himself is coming to pass at the birth of Jesus. Here in this narrative, we see that the three wise men are from the east. They're non-Jews. Don't miss that. They're non-Jews. Three wise men from the east are called upon by God and guided by a miraculous star to the place where the Messiah was to be born. These wise men were probably from Babylon, okay, from the east Babylon, Persia area. And long ago, if you recall, 300 years prior, there's that long silence in the Bible where the, where the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. And so they kind of come from that land. And while they were there, um, it, it's, it's probably told that they heard the prophecies of people like Daniel, people that were exiled from their own homeland in Israel over into Babylon, and they heard the prophecies of a coming king, a coming Messiah that would redeem all people. And so these prophecies, these stories were passed down generations through these wise men and here they come now and they know this truth such as Balaam's prophecy in numbers 24:17 it says a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel so they travel a very far distance bringing gifts to come and worship the king of Jews this is exactly where we get our uh, tradition of giving gifts on Christmas it comes from this narrative in Matthew 2 and here we find a very missional application That the light of the revelation has come to the Gentiles. That God's word through David in Psalm 67, let the nations be glad, has come to pass. So that is the very reason why 
the, the church historically has celebrated three kings day. I did not know this growing up with my Cuban family. I just knew that I got gifts that day. But as I've gotten older and I've gotten to be able to see the truth, the weighty truth in Scripture, yes, there's a passage here where, where we see very clearly that God is not only calling His own people to Himself, but now He has gone outside drawing people to Himself. And notice drawing them. He sent the star. They didn't come on their own. He drew them to Himself. We should not take lightly the significance of this event, church. Matthew notes it for good, good reason in his Gospel account. And the early church devoted a feast to it. So here's the first reason. This is why I called this message, leave the tree up a little longer. Okay, Leave the tree up a little longer, because I know a lot, of, a lot of us, we're anxious to get on to the next holiday. But rest a little bit in the Christmas season, the true Christmas tide that we're in now. I know that that word isn't biblical, but the principle of, of your heart, bringing your heart to Christ is. And so letting that settle, and here's the first principle, there's the missional application of it. It's a reminder of our missional call. The light of revelation has come, and now we need to heed the call to take it to the nations. Folks, we live in a lost world. You don't need me to preach that to you. You see it on TV every single day. There are unreached people groups. And this is where I was getting to the Baptist part. This is one thing that historically we're pretty good at. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to say right now that the International Mission Board has brought on David Platt as its president. If you don't know, he's, he authored a couple books. He, he pastored a church in Birmingham, Alabama, I believe. And now we, we are just steamrolling into other nations to take the gospel to all the unreached people groups. That's something that every church should be a part of. Every single church everywhere bringing the call of the gospel, the light of the gospel, the light of the revelation to everywhere. The Florida Baptist Convention this year, I don't know if, you've, I don't know if you guys know this, but they made a vote um, to now start giving 51% of the income that churches give. Um, as a Southern Baptist church, you have to, you know, churches have to give to the cooperative program. And that funnels through the Florida Baptist Convention. The reason I'm telling you this is because I'm, I'm putting the meat on the bones practically here to see something that you're a part of, a bigger story. And that's exactly what's happening here in Matthew 2. And, and so I, this is just an encouragement to you guys. I saw it right there in your, in your bulletin uh, that your church supports Annie Armstrong. So I don't know however you do your services and your giving, but that's something that to consider. You see here that these wise men travel from far bearing such wonderful gifts, right? Because why? The light has come into the world. Let the nations be glad. Folks, you are actively a part of God's redemption story. Right here, North Park Baptist Church. Emphasis on church planting. Yes, uh, I, I wrote my name, my church name here, Hospitality Church, because we're a church plant. I don't know if you ever, you know, heard that term before. That's a new thing. Um, you know, it's a trendy now, church planting. But it's necessary, especially here. I was talking to Dave earlier, and he was pointing out the window. Um, you take take a good look to your left right now. See all these apartments out here. Baldwin Park is exploding, right? So this missional call, this evangelistic call, the light has come to the nations, the light of revelation. It's active right now, right on your doorstep. What a wonderful harvest, folks. Wonderful harvest right there. So my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? They're right there. As, we, as Hospitality Church, our, um, our emphasis is on the hospitality industry and community. Uh, one of the things, look, this is no, this is no light unto me. Um, but one of the things that I just found out, I determined, and okay, how are we going to plant this church, is um, I was looking at Walt Disney World. 
Um, 77,000 cast members in one spot. It is the largest single-site employer in the United States, in our country. And so, we, you know, we go there and we enjoy the parks all the time. But I was trying to think, how do we get into the culture? How do we reach these people, these 77,000 people that not only have their own culture within themselves, but have the, have the capacity, have the ability to reach people that are coming from all over the world into this one spot? Folks, do you know, do you understand where you live? That 60 to 70 million people visit here each year, and then they these people go back out to their back to their countries. Do you know this light, this revelation that we have that we can give them to carry on? And so we started talking about that as a church, and we started looking at okay, well, how do we penetrate these people? How do we penetrate this culture to bring the gospel to them? And that's where I I determined at least at, for a short pe- period of time at, in the beginning that I had to work there. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you guys, you can come find me uh, in the Magic Kingdom custodial east in, the, in Tomorrowland and in Fantasyland. And I'm there trying to you know, cultivate. It's difficult. It's difficult. But man, what a, what a blessed challenge as I get to share the gospel with people that I am working alongside. And it's the same call to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, especially as Baptists. Hold to the heritage because our heritage really, really supports that, that the light of revelation has come now this mis- this missional application okay of this text is kind of a zoomed out lens so what i want to do for the rest of the time is zoom in we're going to zoom in a little bit um and i'm i'm, I'm going to be i'm going to be honest about this one um charles spurgeon uh one of my favorite preachers he wrote a sermon on this text which was so pointed that i'm going to stick to two of his points that he drew out from this text and um hopefully it draws our hearts and our affections closer to Christ this morning. The first is uh, is this. He titled his message, The Far Off Near, The Near Far Off. I'll say that again. The Far Off Near, The Near Far Off. And what he was doing was drawing a contrast between these wise men who were traveling from far to come to Christ and these inherit in these Jerusalem that were so near, but yet their hearts were so far off. So let's start with the far off near. Uh, we've noticed how the wise men in this text are for, from far away. Uh, I've read studies, probably six to 800 miles, but you can consider in that time period by camel or horseback or whatever, that is a long, treacherous journey that they're taking. Especially to go and lay at the feet of a two-year-old. Are you with me, folks? A two-year-old, right? Now, there, there, there has to be something compelling their hearts to do that, Right? Yet the far off are near. These magi in ancient times referred to priests and experts in mysteries like dream interpreters and stargazers. You can imagine with me, especially in Daniel's time, when Daniel was called to serve in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Amongst other people. These are the type of guys that were in there. Guys that would, that would interpret dreams and look up at the stars and they would report back to the king things that they thought would be significant. And so as they were de- dealing with these Israelites in their midst because the Israelites were exiled into their country they heard these prophecies these stories and they were passed down over the generations and then one night these stargazers are looking up at the sky trying to figure out their life or whatever it is and they notice a different star a star that's moving right and so they go and follow that star and then they remember the prophecy they remember what Balaam said that a star would rise in the east a miraculous star appears, and the least people that you would ever expect to come to Christ come to Him. And isn't that how it sometimes is, folks? The least people that you would ever expect come to Christ. The far off 
are coming near. A few years ago, I was um, I was uh, um, just sitting in my living room, and I received a phone call from a guy that I went to elementary school, middle school, and high school with. And um, his name's Derek. And it just kind of surprised me. It was out of the blue. But here's what I had known about him. Over the years, he dropped out of high school later. Um, and I just noticed on Facebook and social media or whatnot that, that he really started giving his heart and his worship to things so far away from God, so distant from God. Um, he, he, was, he was really into, like, you know, I mean, really like Satan, satanic stuff. And, um, and uh, I, I noticed that he started buying books and really quoting these things on Facebook and, and Twitter of, of uh, lucid dreaming, uh, dreaming interpretation and things like that. So, you know, kind of really you know, a, a far-off kind of thing, but very close to what these stargazers were doing. And um, he, he, it's just amazing how, how God catches us in the very thing sometimes that we are idolizing. He said, he told me, he called me, he said, Alex, in this dream, I saw Jesus. I wasn't expecting it. I've never even picked up a Bible and out of nowhere, now me, I'm the skeptical one. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, uh, or whatever, you know. That's that's still the Baptist in me. Like, you know, okay, let's let's keep that group that side over there. Um, but I listened to him. I listened to him, and and it 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 the conversation turned into a gospel conversation. Um, he 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 literally called me over there and said, hey, I want you to do something for me. So I walk into his room. I went to his house. I walk into his room, and he hands me a satanic Bible. I had never seen one of them things before. I didn't want to touch it. You know, like I, I just I I thought that was like a '90s thing. I was like, people still do this, you know. And he asked me to burn it for him. Um, but but lo and behold, he got down on his knees and he prayed to receive Christ that day. The far off came near. And that's, that's the beautiful part of, of this story, folks. So there's some of you here this morning, um, and there's certainly folks out there, um, that that's them. They are so far off, not just physically like, like we said in the missional context earlier, but spiritually here, spiritually far off, want nothing to do with God. And yet somehow you end up here this morning, or you end up right next to a church. And the gospel is made clear. And if that's you, then my prayer this morning is that in your lostness, you would see and hear the truth, that the revelation, that the light would go into your heart, that you would see the, the gift of Christmas, not the gold of frankincense and myrrh, but Christ himself, that God came, he is Emmanuel, God with us, and he came so that we may have life in him, the far off coming near. And then there are some of you here this morning, and this is the other contrast that Spurgeon made, it's the near far off. And here's where we turn to Herod and those in Jerusalem. I'll read again. The wise men asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now wait a minute. When I read that earlier, and I think many of you, you might, you might kind of get a, huh? When you come across that, I get Herod, okay? He's the king. He has his kingship. He's on his throne. He was placed there by the Romans. So there's a lot for him to lose. But all Jerusalem with him, changing the status quo can be a scary thing, folks. And so you have him and you have Jerusalem and you have the scribes all together who are close to Jesus. They're there. And yet they deny him. They deny him. Two contrasts. Herod is troubled because his kingdom is at stake. The problem is this, that the gospel, which is meant to be good news, 
is a trouble to him. In essence, he's kind of a hypocrite, right? When I was in high school, my gosh, I, I, I was raised in the you know, Southern Baptist Church. I went to all the Sunday school, you know, all the felt board stuff and all that. I did that my whole life. Um, you know, uh, I didn't do Bible drill um, or Awana, but everything else I did, right? Youth group, all that stuff. Um, and yet, it wasn't until I was about 22 years old that the light of the gospel really grabbed my heart. I was a lot like this Herod, clinging to sin, right? Clinging to sin. Spurgeon puts it like this. He told a story of two men rowing a boat across an inlet. Um, and they had had a couple drinks beforehand. And they're just trying and trying to row and row. And, and they're out in the middle of the lake and they're not going anywhere. They're just stuck in the middle of this inlet. And finally one asks, Sandy, did you pull the anchor up? No, he had never pulled the anchor up. And thus they were stuck, rowing away to no purpose. Folks, we can get anchored by our own sin. And I know, just like there's some of you there, out there, some of you may be in here this morning that have a sin that's just anchoring you down. And you're rowing and rowing and rowing, living a life, coming here to church. Maybe you were like me. This is me, you know. You quote Scripture and you knew all 66 books and you'd sit in church every morning. But there was something weighing you down. Some sin that you hadn't let go because you didn't want to let it go. You didn't see Christ as more beautiful, which He is. The problem is the Gospel, which is meant to be good news, is trouble to you. And if that's you... Know that there's grace. There is grace. That is the message of Christmas. Look at this as these men, these pagan guys who are stargazers and dream interpreters. Today, it'd be like, you know, our modern day philosophers and scientists and like Bill Nye who goes on TV just bashing Christianity, right? Holding to unreal truths. And yet here we have Herod who's kind of halfway in, halfway out, a hypocrite. And yet still there's grace. God sends a star to these wise men, these pagan religionists, and saves them. There's grace for them. There's grace for you. The cross covers all of that, right? That's why I love, I love how Paul puts it in Colossians that in Christ, the fullness of God was made to dwell and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He reconciled you the blood of his death of his flesh by his death on the cross to present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before him what a wonderful gospel word there is grace at the cross and and we see this in matthew 2 and then there's the other guys the scribes so maybe you're here this morning and you can relate like i did the the kind of hypocritical you know kind of one foot in one foot out of herod but then there's the scribes right and, and this was kind of stage two for me, really. They, he, he asks them, where is the Messiah to be born? And they immediately spit it out. In Bethlehem, that's exactly what the prophet said. So they know their Bible, right? And I know there's some of you this morning, you know your Bible. But what they, they didn't, if they know this, then why didn't they follow the wise men to go see Jesus? They just stood there, Right? And for some of for some of us, that was certainly me also. I, I'll admit, I you know even I I still struggle. I get to seminary. Oh man, I love to read, guys. I'll read Spurgeon. I'll, I'll read everything. You give it to me. But a lot of times it goes in here and not in here. And you can tell by your fruit, right? There's some of us here that need to repent of that, right? 
And, and, and this is, I, I preached a sermon kind of on this text, but in a different application on Monday to our church. And it was titled, um, it was Adore, the one gift that you may not have considered. And so here where the contrast is built is look at the wise men. Look at the wise men. They're sinners. They're pagan religionists, right? They travel for 800 miles through treacherous terrain to get to this crisis two-year-old. And then they come bearing gifts. But, but notice, it's not the travel that's a gift, right? A lot of you have traveled this, these last couple of days or people have traveled to you, coming to you. Probably traveling to you because it's freezing up north and they're coming to experience our, you know, high 80s weather, which is crazy. Um, but that's what they did. They traveled, but that's not the gift. And neither is really the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought these things, but what they are are true reflections on the outside, outward reflections of what's inside their hearts. What would drive somebody to go 800 miles through desert to go lay at the feet of a two-year-old? It's not that they adored him, which they did. It's that they were adored first. You get that? They were loved by God. They heard the stories. They heard the prophecies. And even in the midst of their sin, God comes in the form of a star and draws them to himself and rescues them. And yes, they bow down, not because they had to, but because they wanted to, because they were loved. They were redeemed. They were rescued. Folks, so is the same with us. You may be like me in both of these realms, like a Herod. You know, I was definitely the near far off, as Spurgeon said. Like Herod, I was a hypocrite. Right. I, I, I didn't want to release my sin, but you know what the problem was? I didn't see Jesus as beautiful. Oh, and now do I redeeming grace and is so much sweeter than anything else the world is ever going to offer to you. And you know, you know it, you know it. The question is, have you made that decision? Right. And then maybe some of you, you've been going to church your entire life. Like I have, you, you even did Bible drill. You can hold it and beat me to it. Right. You know, the scriptures, but the truth don't reside in your heart. Look, these, these, these wise men, the, probably the height of what they knew was just some of these prophecies. But it didn't matter because their hearts were affixed, were attuned to their Savior who loved and adored them. And so they in turn adored them back. And so my call for you folks this morning. Three things out of this text that are so important for us for Christmas. One, the missional call. The missional call, wherever you, you folks, you go out into this community, you know there's two million plus people in our metro. And you know that Orlando, Florida is considered 89% unchurched. And you know that 89% unchurched is not enough, is too small of a margin for the Southern Baptist Convention to enable it as one of its planting cities because other cities around the country are in the 95 to 96% of unchurched. Those are staggering numbers, folks. Why do you think that the Chinese missionaries and Cuban missionaries and, and even Middle Eastern missionaries are coming here? Because this is the new mission field. Folks, they're on your doorstep. There is a call. There is a call for us to go, not just to the nations, but right here in your backyard and bring this light of revelation to the people that don't know Jesus Christ, who are perishing without Him. That's one. But two, that's the broad scope. But bringing it in, there are some of you here uh, who are far off. But right here you see that Christ has brought you near. That the gospel is so powerful that it, if it can bring wise men who don't even haven't even heard of this Jesus to come when 
follow a star 800 miles to a Messiah that God can save you to. And folks, if you're here this morning, I'm assuming the majority of you, you might be the near far off this morning. This isn't, this isn't a plea for you to, to come in guilt and shame, but no, to fix your heart on the grace and truth and love of our Savior who loves you and rescued you and took on your sin so that you might be saved. Don't have to walk on trying to impress Him with Bible knowledge stats or seminary degrees or anything of that sort. Just like, just like these wise men, the call that we must heed is to adore Him as He first loved us. So folks, all I'm asking you to do is to leave up your Christmas trees, <laughs> leave up those decorations for another week and a half or so. Consider these truths, and every time you walk by, you see the star up there. Remember that God was the one that called you just like He called the wise men. Whenever you walk by your nativity scene, and you look at those three, remember that there is a harvest out there. It's plentiful. The workers are few. So what are we going to do about it?